Hello and welcome to the Soccer Speakeasy. Today is Thursday, the 30th of July. Jeez, we're running out of midsummer here, although it's hot enough outside for sure. It's not Orlando, but it's it's pretty hot out there. I'm Mike A-Race with uh, Kyle Robertson and our, our fine crew beat writer, Jacob Myers. And let's dive right into it. The crew uh, lost on kicks in the round of 16 in the MLS's back tournament just 48 hours ago and uh, they lost to Minnesota. They were scored on in the 18th minute. Minnesota very good on set pieces. And as the striker will tell you, don't two headers make a goal? Yeah. Is that the old <laughs> expression, Tom? Yeah. <laughs> two heads equal one goal. And, and there it was uh, a volley off a, a, off a pinballing ball into the box. one nothing in the 18th minute for Minnesota. And then they just backed up the bus. And uh, the crew had the ball the whole game. Didn't score until deep in the second half when uh, they were awarded a penalty kick, and rightly so. And Sardis was actually stopped, but the rebound came right to him. He just bunted it in. It was 1-1. There is no extra time in this tournament in the knockout rounds. They go straight to kicks. And I believe this was the second game in the round of 16 to go to kicks. The crew um, didn't get a save and lost, what was it, uh, uh, 5-3 on kicks? Is that Was that the, the final total, Jacob? Yeah, Chris Cadden missed his in the third round. So there you have it. So they go out on kicks, technically one nothing. And uh, it's kind of bittersweet because uh, they they ran the table in, in the uh, preliminary round in the group stage. They went 3-0 and with seven goals, four and zero against. And then uh, they got the bus backed up on them. They, got fr- they were frustrated and they looked a little worn down. Um, you know, Jacob, you, you did the uh, post-mortem on this, so to speak, uh, in this morning's editions. Why don't you just take us through that? And one thing I'm curious about, and Kyle, you'll, you'll weigh in on this too, I'm sure. But one thing I was curious about was Ben Spachenko on Monday seemed to indicate, at least hint, that uh, they were going to uh, rotate their lineup again as they had in the first three games during the group stage when they used 19 different starters. He hinted that they were going to, um, you know, sit some sit some guys, play some younger guys, and, and uh, obviously use all five of their substitutes just – in the same sort of rhythm they did uh, in the early rounds. And Jacob, they went with a, a pretty sturdy lineup there uh, against Minnesota right off the hop. Yeah, it was the first time, and Kyle and I messaged each other before the game. This was the first time you got Pedro Santos and Milton Valenzuela starting in a game together this tournament because they were out in the first game against Cincinnati, and then Santos came back and Valenzuela came back against Atlanta. Obviously, you didn't have Vita Wormhor, who has essentially out for the season with uh, ankle. He had surgery on. Aloy Room was out for the tournament, and then Eunice Mokhtar also had an injury. He would have been out for the tournament as John Champion, uh, the ESPN commentator, said during the broadcast. But, yeah, that's something that Porter said about rotating the lineup in the second game. I think it would have looked very similar to what they did against Red Bulls. I made sure to go plural there, Mike, because I know that gets on your (laughs) nerve when people say Red Bull. But I think he would have had Sebastian Berhalter probably starting maybe in that second game. It was a shorter window than the first three group stage games if they were to get to the semifinals. It would have been three games in nine days instead of 11 days. So, yes, they would have rotated it, but obviously didn't get there. And what I wrote essentially, and, you know, Caleb Porter put his spin on the game like I anticipated he did, but he's also not wrong in saying that, you know, a little disappointment is probably good for this team, having won every game in preseason, a win and a draw in the two games in March, and then 
the only team to win the three in the group stage. So I, I think there's a way to look at it that this is positive. And, um, but I mean, look, it's, it's a draw and then they lost in penalties. So if this were a regular season game, they still would have got a point out of against a pretty good Minnesota team, one who hasn't lost yet this season. Yes, uh, Minnesota, they're the top. We're at the top of the ladder in, in the West, and the crew, in terms of regular season uh, standings, uh, uh, are the leaders in the Eastern Conference uh, at, through five games. Um, and the crew, dating back to last year, they've lost just two of their last 18 um, over the span of a year. Um, Jacob, as you noted, uh, best record in the league outside of uh, – uh, LAFC, which to me looks like the best team in this tournament right now, but the best record over that span, save for uh, LAFC, that's over a year's time. So, you know, they've retooled the roster. Um, it's fitting the coach's eye, and uh, they're obviously having success. Kyle, what did you think of the game against Minnesota? And we'll get to the group stage breakdown in just a second. I thought the crew started off pretty uh, pretty good. They were attacking down the, the right flank, and uh, Diaz had some opportunities. Um, but to me, it seemed like all game long, the the passes and the uh, and the touches in the final third um, were just a bit off. And I don't know if that had to do with some of the rain or the condition of the field, but to me, just the quality of touches and the quality of passes in the last third just weren't there. And I didn't think they had a, a quality shot until the end of the game. You know, they didn't do any good shots, any good opportunities. You know, they pra- they made it pretty easy for, uh, you know, Minnesota to kind of um, hunker in there and, you know, and, and, and just basically uh, hold the fort you know, to get to shootout or the PKs, sorry. But, you know, I just thought they just, I was just a little disappointed in the way that they kind of uh, had possession and they just couldn't get, it's almost like they were trying to build up and try to make a glorious goal or, you know, um, you know, the 19 passes that they had and one of the goals they had earlier in the tournament. So to me, it seemed like they were just trying to find that perfect goal and they just couldn't get it going. Jacob, your breakdown there about the final third, because uh, as as we said, they they did have the ball like what sixty. They have sixty five to seventy percent of possession or something like that. But they got stuck in the final third, and yeah. and it looked to me like um, and please, I need your help here. But it looked to me like they were trying to to stay up the middle, and, and that um, they could have adjusted and gone more to the flanks and just started beating balls into the box. And and it's almost like they stubbornly refused to do that what the object was in the ESPN broadcast. I've, I'm now hardliner on the pumped in fake noise, but I enjoy that ESPN didn't have that. Cause you got to hear examples like Caleb Porter and the hydration break in the first half, talk about exactly what they were trying to do is get the ball to our tour Nagby and then play in those pockets. And then they play it down the line toward the end line to the outside backs, go in with a ball on a cross or, somehow combined back with Santos or Zellerayon. And I don't think there were a lot of times I just rewatched the game where there were moments that pass down the line was open and they didn't connect with it on times that they did. I really just think Minnesota did a tremendous job of blocking just about every single pass that the crew tried to play in there. Zarda's got a couple opportunities. It was kind of coming across his body. So it was a little more difficult of a shot but I, I just think they limited Columbus very, very well, especially Zellerayon, who had a lot of heavy touches, I thought, in the game. Certainly wasn't as sharp as he was in the group stage. But credit Minnesota, Hassani Dotson was all over uh, Nagby Artur and just about anybody who 
got the ball in the pocket and tried to play it to the outside backs. Yeah, Kyle, I thought they, it seemed to me like a part of Minnesota's plan was to take the two midfielders and the attacking midfielder, uh, two central midfielders and the attacking midfielder, to shut them off, to deny them, and, and thus uh, sort of break down the, the offense. Is that the way you saw it, or do you have any other nuance to add? No, I mean, it was it was there during the whole entire game. I mean, they, you know, clogged up the middle, and they had, you know, the right side, you know, in the first half, Diaz, you know, was just, you know, heading down there. And then also on the left side, you know, Milton made a lot of runs um, down the left side. So they they had the opportunities and they had what they wanted. But I just think that once they got in the final third, the crosses, Diaz had, um, I believe, two two opportunities. One, he took a shot on goal. I think both opportunities he took a shot on goal. And I think he had Zardes pretty wide open in the middle uh, on another one, but he kind right. of took a shot. So, I, I, yeah, I think – they kind of figured out, you know, a great uh, game plan. And, you know, maybe some of it had to do with the field. Some of it had to do with the conditions of the, the rain. But I just thought that they just weren't uh, quality touches from everyone and crosses, uh, you know, to get it into the box like they were doing earlier on in the tournament. I thought Minnesota completely bailed out the crew with that penalty. I mean, clearly the crew, I think, were the better team in the second half. I wouldn't say that about the first half. But as you said, Kyle, there weren't many great looks on goal in terms of actual shots getting there. I thought they were in fine positions, but Minnesota did a great job of blocking it. Well, even Minnesota's goal, it was kind of a wonky kind of lucky goal with an extra head, you know, and it was a great finish to, you know, to the volley off the, you know, off the ground. And, you know, Tarbo looked like he kind of got a hand on it or almost was there. But, you know, that was even a, you know, uh, you know, a weird kind of, you know, goal, but I mean, both teams didn't have quality shots on goal. I didn't think, you know, I didn't, I didn't remember either one of the goalies making an incredible save or, you know, off a post or anything like that. So I, I you know, I think both teams didn't kind of play up to what they were kind of playing with the first three games. How many times did Diaz hit the right side of the net in the tournament? Were There's this game and yeah. um, other, I think yeah. Red Bulls, right? Yeah. I think because he had an early look there. To me, he needs to add another dimension to his game. I think he's a bit too one-dimensional right now. Nice young player, yep. and they're all learning. Um, Jacob, what did they what did they take away from this tournament? I think they took away that they got nine points and they're sitting atop the Eastern Conference. I mean, it, to be honest, I don't think I'll go a little big Lebowski nihilist here. I don't think anybody is really going to remember losing in a penalties and round of sixteen. Uh, of of this tournament you know they were the only team to win in the group stage yes they have things to improve on it, it's just the extra quality late and to be honest i think the win against atlanta kind of shielded that they did not have much quality especially in the final third but really that entire second half against atlanta and i thought this game was a bit more of a carryover that minnesota did a great job of just hunkering down and not allowing many good chances so Look, they got the nine points. That was their objective. It's disappointing if you're a fan because the way they played in the group stage, you would have expected them to at least make a run. And I was really looking forward to them playing LAFC in the semifinals, just you know, strength versus strength, see how that would go. But you know, at the end of the day, you, you accomplish your main mission. So I, I don't think there's too much to be disappointed about for the crew. Now, Kyle, this is kind of like uh... – they they beat Atlanta and then Atlanta fired the coach. It was it was like um, 
it's like the old days of the Blue Jackets uh, in their early expansion days. Uh, <laughs> teams that came in and lost Nationwide Arena, there was there was always team meetings or a coach got fired. You know, you just, <laughs> did that surprise you, Frank DeBoer gone? You know? Yeah, no, I thought it was, uh, you know, it was it was shocking, and you know, it was, you know, I thought it was a little too soon, but I mean, you know. If you if if you think if the management thinks they have a quality team and you know they do, um, but it also you know one of the best players in the league is not there this year and and a lot of their goals goes goes through him. It's a tough spot to be in. So, well, I mean, Jacob, th- that coach is not a chump. He's got some serious bonafide. Yeah, no, he uh, certainly is very credentialed. I mean, if you read the that story in the Athletic, I think it kind of detailed some issues. The star players with Atlanta had with Frank DeBoer. I'm curious who they bring in because clearly they still have plenty of talent with Barco and Pity Martinez probably need to, they definitely need to add someone to replace Joseph Martinez this year. But yeah, I think that shocked just about everyone. Um, I, I don't know what was more shocking. The fact that this tournament seems to actually have a conclusion in sight uh, after the kind of early tumultuous days with Nashville or, and Dallas or that, Atlanta United, a team that won the title two years ago, uh, quickly exits and quickly removes their head coach. Just going to say that, uh, you know, just as Seattle is the birthplace of the game, Atlanta is where the game was invented. So there's a lot of pressure in, in those kinds of markets, you know, with the with all of that. I was just going to add that, pretty- that, you know, I think it's, you know, maybe, you know, his firing had more to do with some, you know, office stuff or just being around, you know, the, the ownership group or, you know, uh, you know, you had what, how many months, three or four months without any soccer. So, you know, maybe they thought he was a good guy and then, you know, they didn't like some of the stuff that he was doing, you know, where you make a decision like that after, you know, failing to get out of the group stage. I mean, you just, it's a weird time, I think for all coaches, um, you know, especially when there's such a, a long stop gap between, between games and maybe they just realized that it wasn't working. I was just going to say, are we a five? Let's are we a about, five stripes podcast here? <laughs> what's next now, Jacob? What's next is what's we, the crew do now? Yeah, the what's next is we await a schedule uh, from the league. What Porter said after the game right. is they are expecting late August. Nothing has been announced by MLS yet, but as I reported, when the MLS and MLSPA came to their agreement for this tournament as they were mulling over an 18-game schedule. I'm not sure what else they were thinking at that time, but that seems to be what is the, at least it's been reported, what is going to be the schedule in late August, starting a week and a half after the conclusion of this tournament. So that's what I'm expecting. I don't know for sure if, if those dates are true, if that's the for sure schedule. But, I mean, just logistically, it seems likely just – nine home games, nine away games. You take it to beginning of November and then you have MLS cup second week of December. So, you know, for now, Porter said he'll probably give the players some days off. They arrive back home yesterday, Wednesday, and they'll get back to training soon. Okay. The bubble, I guess is working as well as it it can be at this point. Surprisingly to me, fair to say, Kyle, yeah, I mean, we all thought it wasn't going to work. I mean, I think we all stated that on the show earlier on that we didn't think it was going to make it through. And uh, surprisingly, things have uh, 
have gotten a lot better. Okay, now, Jacob, say the bubble is working to this point. There's still a, a little bit ways to go here to the 7th, I believe, of August. Is that correct? I thought it was something like the the 11th is the final, the 5th and the 6th are the okay. semifinals. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's what I was thinking of. So you got the finals on the 11th and we'll see, we'll see how it goes here over the next couple of weeks. Uh, I, I still harbor some doubts. So let's say they get through this, this uh, MLS is back tournament and, uh, and Bob Bradley is, is holding the trophy and everyone goes home. They're, they're planning to start sometime uh, in the last two weeks of August with the restart of the season. So nine games, so there's on any given week there's nine teams or there, half the league is traveling. So is that going to work? And and I I harbor doubts about that as well, uh, <laughs> given the state of the coronavirus in the United States right now. What the players, coaches, everybody in MLS, everybody in you know, let's just start with the headline this week with Major League Baseball and the Miami Marlins. Certainly, I would think the MLS and Ooh, other yeah. teams are at that as they should be. It, it just requires such high compliance. We need everyone to wear a mask. These, these are things that every individual in the country and the world should be doing. Wear, wear a mask, wash your hands, practice social distancing. You just need very high compliance. And, you know, there were some reports that, that Miami Marlins, the first player to get infected, went out to a, a nightclub in Atlanta, and now it's spread around their team. So, um you know, it, it just requires these – if you need – if a season is going to happen, you need everybody on every single team not to spoil it for everyone else. So do I think it is can be possible, done? Do I, yeah. I think it can yeah. be done. Yeah, well, I, I will say, though, I think soccer players are a little bit different. I mean, uh, you know, playing in the MLS, it's not the daily grind like baseball and even basketball. Um, so I think a lot of uh, athletes probably want that escape, you know, the the partying and the going out and that kind of stuff so i think that helps the mls but like you said i mean um i, I hope uh, everyone's allowed to charter some flights because i think that's that's probably where they're all going to go um you know they're probably not going to try to f- you know fly convert you know with everybody else i mean it's that to, to put it simply, um, we're still in the first stage of the virus and it's worsening in many places in the united states including in ohio um, at, right at this moment, um, and there's going to be a there's going to be a second phase. It's it's it, uh, in in the autumn. It's it's uh, widely predicted, and so we're going to take MLS from the uh, middle uh, somewhere in the third week of August through to November through the end of the first wave and into the second wave uh, with travel. Um, I hope it can be done. Um, uh, and it's good, but it's going to take uh, total quarantining by everyone in the league and Man. all their staff. And and you know if they can pull that off, Viva Yo, um, I hope so. We we don't want anyone. Uh, we don't want to see a Marlins anywhere else. And and I hope you guys are right that right. other other teams and other leagues learn for it. Uh, Jacob, but, let's let's touch on. Yeah, go ahead. Oh no, I was just going to say, but I mean, it's it, it, it could you know if things keep on increasing, it might not even be up to them. I mean, they might you know get, they might not be allowed to play games if the health you know the health department comes in and says, yeah, we don't want you know X amount of people playing a you know a sport, and you know so I mean, California can shut down all you know all sports. Then you know so there's going to be a lot of I think trying to figure out where they can play, and and you know you might have. Both both teams traveling to a place to play a game. 
And MLS is still not rolled out having fans at games. Let's just state that as well. And right. we can have the argument at another point if if it should be done and, and even if it can be done, should it be done? I, I think the question's there. Well, that's fair. And I'm sure the, the union's going to have a lot to say about that. Now, uh, before we get on uh, with the uh, sort of uh, your opinions, gentlemen, on, on – uh, who was good and, and who maybe uh, was was disappointing, if anyone, um, down in Orlando. Um, obviously, the crew can't complain about a whole lot given where they are in the standings um, and the way they played uh, for, for most of that tournament. But before we, we get into the individuals uh, and the lineup um, as a way of wrapping up, we should talk about the transfer window, Jacob. Um, mm. That is beginning to take some form. Um, the... Uh, MLS has been uh, having negotiations with the United States Soccer and FIFA uh, about uh, 85 days of the transfer window that they missed while uh, amid the coronavirus pandemic. And um, they're negotiating um, getting those 85 days back. And it's, it's, it's beginning to uh, have some definition, Jacob. Yeah. I mean, you had a conversation with Spachenko where he said, Basically, some smaller market clubs might be in a good spot because the pandemic could drive down some costs of other players. Am I paraphrasing correctly? Yes. <laughs> so I, I think that's interesting to look at. Now, I think we all expect pandemic or not, by the time the stadium opens, they're going to add a big-time player, I would assume, around the transfer fee that was given to Lucas El- for Lucas Elorion maybe a little less, but certainly a number similar to that. What do I think the crew need right now? I think they're okay at center back filling in for Vito Warmhor. I would add another winger, though, because I think you saw when one of those guys goes down, mainly one of the pocket guys in Mokhtar or Santos, they didn't really have another guy to really fill in. Um, the guy who filled in had to play a full 90, and that wasn't possible given the current situation, how quickly they came back to play. So, I think forward, winger, those are the spots you, you look to add. Just to step back one second and, and, and go over the details, as Bezbachenko tried to delineate, nothing's cast in stone yet, but it looks like when they, from the time they restart, they'll have 85 days of an international transfer window, um, and that'll basically take them to the end of the season. So, I, And this is just a thumbnail, and uh, uh, again, nothing's settled yet, but the way it's looking and the way it was uh, uh, presented to me was uh, essentially there's going to be a, a, a an international transfer window from the restart basically until the end of the season, hmm. um, uh, which which is interesting. It's interesting for all the teams. And, and uh, um, again, the there may be the market may be depressed because of the coronavirus and just for the sake of logistics, among among other things, and, and teams have lost money now. Just to interrupt real quick, Mike, they already do have the dates in place. Uh, they, they announced it back on July 6th, right before the start of the tournament, and I just took some time to pull it up. So for, for our listeners, August 12th, Wednesday, August 12th, the day after the completion of this tournament is when that transfer window opens, and it runs through October 29th. So basically up to the very end of the regular season, it, the reported regular season schedule, at least right now. Well, thanks for, for setting me straight there. <laughs> Kyle, what are you doing in your car over there? <laughs> Nothing. Just <laughs> You're always looking. 
I was just going to say, uh, you, you know, you probably make a good point. You know, do the crew even try to look to add, you know, if, you know, like you said, uh, you know, some of the smaller markets might be in better shape. But do you want to bring over somebody and then, you know, pay a transfer fee and then have them sit and not have a whole lot of income, you know, come in if there's no fans or what do you do? I don't know what you do. Uh, I, I think those those people get paid big bucks to make those decisions. <laughs> <laughs> who did you like down there, gentlemen? I think Jossie Zardes is in Orlando, really good form. From the crew. Yeah. I think Zardes is in good form. I think Zellerayan, although he struggled against Minnesota, certainly played well. Darlington Nagby did. In general, I think the team showed that they can compete for a home playoff berth to, to host that first weekend of the playoffs. Maybe they expand the playoffs too. I'll be looking to see if they do that because that was in uh, the report by The Athletic. But the, the player that I want to see more out of is Pedro Santos. He, in Milton Valenzuela, although he was more limited, Santos had an assist in the Red Bulls game. He really struggled in the Minnesota game, and I have questions of how he fits in on the left there and maybe when, if at all, the club could scrap that and try to play him more on the right in those pockets as he was so successful last year. Yeah, I like to take it a little different way. I, I like the three, uh, you know, homegrowns. Uh, I, you know, I think uh, heading in, I don't know how much time we, we kind of thought they would get, but, you know, all three of them played, uh, well, I'll say two of the three, um, played, you know, had pretty significant roles in a couple games. So I like the getting the young the young kids some quality playing time. So that's who I thought did really well. And then also the depth. I mean, uh, with having virtually almost everyone except, what, six for two, right? Two people didn't make it uh, on the roster, right? Yeah, Hamilton, Miguel Berry, Axel Schuberg, and Waylon Francis. Yeah, sorry. But, yeah, that's that's what I was most interested in and and who I thought did well. I mean, I I think it's finally nice to see the crew have – you know, two or three quality homegrown players. I mean, I think uh, they haven't had that many. They've had, you know, they've had Trap and a couple other guys that, you know, lamps in the kind of throughout the years. But to have three that are going to play a role in the in the 18 uh, moving forward is, a, um, I think it's a good sign for the crew. I think they, this is not exactly brilliant thinking on my part, which you guys are accustomed to less than brilliant thinking on my part. So I'll, I'll give you some more, but I think they, obviously miss the goalkeeper yeah. i think they miss the i think they miss the center back i think warm horse is a big loss for them the way he looked um, prior to the virus um you know when they have their their backs set uh, their goalie set i think they're much freer as they move up the field because they have a lot of confidence back there because they're strong back there i think that could have played a little bit on their minds but um, and that, that kind of speaks as well to this transfer window because uh, what Tim Bezbachenko was talking about was, you know, do they need to acquire anyone through health for health reasons, meaning to replace injured players or for need reasons? That would be one way they're approaching the transfer window. And, uh, you know, he gave the classic Yarmo, you know, we're always looking to get better. And he did say, don't cut a, count us out in the transfer window. Don't count us out. I wouldn't count us out with acquisitions this year was his exact words. And so they may be looking to just add to depth and fortify in light of, uh, of, of their injuries, their current injuries right now and be um, in fine settle uh, when and if we have a restart to the season. I'll just throw in for good measure, Mike, because I know you're always looking at the expected goals value 
for this game, the crew had 2.25 oh, to 0.48. Yeah, I called Kyle. <laughs> what was that expected? XG? XG, yeah. 2.25 yeah. to you know, 0.48. Uh, the crew actually performed pretty well in that stat this whole tournament. Oh, that's good. They had, Kyle, they had good XG. Yeah, it's always good. <laughs> Yeah, they had the XG. All right. Well, you guys have anything else to add or we wrap this up here? No, hopefully we can get back whenever we know a schedule and, you know, everyone just stay healthy, do your part so sports can continue. Awesome. Thank you for that, young man. Kyle, what do you got? I got nothing. Oh, uh, that's excellent. He's not the that best was your vacation, Mike. It was fine. Might have choked down two beers, but that was it. That's it. Um, so for I guess that's what we got here for the soccer speakeasy on the thirtieth of July, this Thursday, twenty and twenty, for Kyle Robertson at K Rob Photo and our fine crew beat writer Jacob Myers. What's your underscore system now? Underscore J C Myers. I don't know. I still I like uh, for at underscore J C Myers. I'm I'm Mike Ayres. Thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. You know, knock on wood. Go peace out, everybody, and Patrick Flaherty, wherever you are, kick us out of here.